You're posting on social media consistently, but it doesn't seem to be driving any leads into your funnel. But why? What are you doing wrong? To activate sales from your social media and from your marketing, you have to understand how to speak to each of the buyer types that's following you. So what are buyer types? I'm so glad you asked. Today, we are going to be breaking down the four buyer types and how to sell and market to them so that you can increase your sales conversion. Hey there, CEOs. You're listening to the Wedding Pro CEO Podcast, and I'm your host, Brandi Gar. I'm a wedding pro just like you who's built one of the largest planning firms in Orlando, Florida. But it wasn't that long ago when that success came with long days, sleepless nights, and little to no pay. Fast forward to today, and I have the business I've always dreamed of, a killer team, steady profit, and weekends with my family. Over the past three years, I've taught more than a thousand wedding pros how to do the same. My mission is to create a movement of wedding pros who are ready to build a profitable business that they've always dreamed of. You guys, I am so excited about today's episode. One, because... Kenda is on the show, and she is my new business coach, which you guys know I talk about business coaching on this show all the time and the importance of having a business coach and choosing the right business coach. So I told you that I joined a new program this year, and so I'm really, really excited for you guys to get to know a little bit about Kenda, why I chose her as a mentor for this year, and to learn from her about the buyer types, which is such a strong piece of what she teaches. And it's so interesting to me because it's so analytical and my brain just thinks like that. You guys know I love numbers. So Kenda, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we are going to have so much fun with this topic, talking all about the buyer types. But before we get in, too much to the nitty gritty. Can you kind of tell everybody a little bit about you and maybe how you got into starting Laney Media? Yeah. So it's kind of a whirlwind of a story and like the most crazy butterfly effect (laughs) ever that it, it just, I can't even imagine that this is where we're at, but it honestly all started because I was diagnosed with cancer as a child and, um, It was a really rare form of eye cancer, like 2% survival rate when I was diagnosed. And because of that, I had my right eye removed, so I have a prosthetic eye. And because of that, my parents enrolled me in therapeutic horseback riding um, and equine therapy when I was eight. And from there, I just absolutely loved it. I was obsessed. My parents moved across Colorado so that I could have horses of my own, and so I started barrel racing and getting into rodeo. I was a rodeo queen and I had somebody in that industry that's incredibly well-known. She's very, very talented in the barrel racing space and she just kind of took me under her wing as a mentor and in high school, I ended up just as a favor to her doing social media management. It was like, you're young, you understand social media, here you go. Like, what can you do? And I ended up just being like naturally really, really good at it. And I loved it and it was so fun. And I, in my time with her, like not even really knowing what I was doing, we grew her Instagram from like 10,000 to 300,000 followers within like a year and a half. Wow. And she now has multiple eight figure businesses and we cut all of her ad spend by getting her on Pinterest, which was, again, just another one of those like weird things that was like, hey, I see people on here that are like selling the same stuff that I do. Like, can you look at it? And I was like, yeah, let's figure it out. And now that's like a core pillar of what we teach at Laney Media. So 
I went from there. I obviously graduated high school, went to college. I changed my degree to software engineering, and I started building websites for people. And then I met my husband, Soren, and we ended up starting I, – I was – taking on website clients and it just kind of came full circle that those people I was building websites for then needed help driving traffic back to those websites. And so it came full circle back to social media management. And then my TikTok exploded. And that is when we launched kind of the consulting side of the business that is what it is now. So, so crazy. <laughs> it That is such an insane story. I did know your story, but funny thing that we're talking about buyer types. I was, I knew right away what buyer type I was. And I definitely am the type that asks zero questions. And I was just like, I've seen like six of your TikToks. I'm obsessed with the way that you break everything down analytically. So we jumped in like no questions asked. So as I was starting to go through the program, I was like, how did I not know any of this about her? (laughs) It's really because I discovered you and so quickly jumped in. But This is such an interesting story that you kind of just figured it out as you went along. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is because ads are not popular in the wedding industry. I know they're not popular for you at all. Like you really, (laughs) really don't like ads. And it's, it's kind of a pillar of what you talk about. But in the wedding industry, it's super uncommon for wedding pros to run ads. And so you are so passionate about driving traffic through organic channels like Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest, which are also the core channels for wedding pros. I mean, brides, engaged couples are on Pinterest and Instagram, and most of them are on TikTok as well. So Mm -hmm. it's really interesting how you talk about driving traffic. So you guys, Hinda coaches, coaches, obviously, or educators, or I guess maybe anybody really, but like your core topics are talking about driving organic traffic, right? Exactly. And like you said, I am very against ads because what what we found is that so many businesses, one, a lot of coaches push people into ads long before they're ready. Unless you're unless and I will make this blanket statement, unless you're doing over a million dollars a month, you shouldn't be anywhere near an ad. Yeah. So that means like no one in your audience should be touching an ad ever. Like there's no reason for it. You're in running ads, you're allocating at least 30% of your of your profit to go into those ads. And the thing is, is that it's so unnecessary when you can reach the exact same amount of people, if not more, completely organically, and you're going to have a higher conversion rate because of the relationship you build with them. And you're going to, exactly like you said, I found you on TikTok, I jumped in. It's because of the way we do that psychology-backed content because you wouldn't have done that Mm -hmm. if we'd served you an ad. It would have taken a lot longer. Yeah, you're 100% right. And one of the things to be completely transparent, Kenda also knows this, but that I do run ads for my coaching business and I definitely don't do a million dollars a month. So Kenda and I have had this conversation. That's actually one of the reasons that also drew me into her program was because I was like, I there's no way to drive this much traffic. Like I, I'm a massive fan of ads on the coaching side, but Kenda and I have talked about this a lot is that What I've noticed, even just since I'm still running ads and learning Kenda's method, is that we have seen such a much higher conversion because 
we even when people are seeing me from an ad, then they're popping over to my TikTok or my Instagram. They're getting warmed up there, and it's almost an immediate conversion. So I'm still teetering with this whole scenario of ads, no ads. Either way, I'm obsessed with the way Kenda teaches organic social media. And one of the things, too, that's interesting is that she's so passionate about Pinterest marketing. And I will tell you guys, we're going to have to have her back on the show specifically for Pinterest marketing because for my own companies, all of my companies, we stopped doing Pinterest maybe a year and a half ago, really because we lost our Pinterest manager. And it was just kind of one of those things where it was like capacity, right? Like capacity. And we were just like, I don't know. But hearing you talk about it, it's already, we already have April 1st set on the calendar. We're like, okay, get get everything else out of the way so that we can start focusing on Pinterest marketing on April 1st and really go all in on it with Kenda's methodology. So we're going to have her back on the show to talk about Pinterest. But for today, we are talking about the four buyer types. And you guys, I'm literally obsessed with this. I've watched every video multiple times inside the program. And Kenda talks about this a lot on her platforms, on all of her organic media as well. So are you ready to get into this, Kenda? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, cool. (laughs) Okay, so first, can you tell us what the four buyer types are? And then can we go back and kind of break down each one? Yes. There's four buyer types and you can kind of break them half and half. So you have your more assertive buyer types and those are your driver and analytical buyers. And then you've got your more emotional buyer types, which are your amiable and expressive buyers. Okay. So the whole premise with the buyer types is essentially they correlate directly to the four different personality types. And there's a really great book. I always recommend everyone read it. It's called Surrounded by Idiots. And it breaks down all of these different personality types and goes way more in depth than any book just about the buyer types. And so then you can really get to understand people's personalities. And so the the premise with the buyer types is that essentially it's a roadmap to a conversion with each personality type. So every single type of person cares about different things when they're deciding to make a sale. Some people care more about ROI. Some people care more about how it's going to make them feel. And so when you have that understanding and you know exactly what to say to each of those types of buyers, it makes your sales so seamless and easy, especially on social media. Yes. Okay. There's these four buyer types. They're kind of split into two. So can we kind of start at the beginning? So driver would be the first one, right? And can you tell us a little bit about that buyer type? So I'm a driver buyer and (laughs) yeah, I I definitely knew that with you. So (laughs) driver buyers are very like outcome driven. Okay. What is this going to do for me? And if I believe that it's going to give me that result, I'm all in immediately take my money. Here's my credit card. Yeah. Driver buyers also are a little bit ego driven when it comes to making sales. They care a little bit about like how is me purchasing this or being associated with this brand going to reflect on me? You'll find driver buyers are some of the biggest supporters of luxury brands. A driver buyer loves a good Hermes handbag um, because again, it's the status, it's the ego is really important. And driver buyers also look for things that can kind of give them a competitive edge. They're very competitive. Mm. And so specifically in like the business space, when someone sees like our content, for example, and they see that it's kind of a secret weapon that can give them a competitive edge against everyone else in their industry, 
they're all in. So that's your driver buyer. Um, yeah. And then and then your other kind of assertive buyer type is your analytical buyer. Okay. And <laughs> this is what my husband is. Yes, and my so- husband too. <laughs> uh, it's a battle all the time. <laughs> it's a battle because I'm like, I want this outcome. Like here's yeah. the thing that I want and I'm like in, I'm sold. And he's like, wait a minute, let me get out my spreadsheet. Right. <laughs> I'm like, what are we still talking about? The answer's already there. Yeah, it makes me crazy. Yeah, exactly. It drives me nuts. But our our analytical buyers, they are very analytical. They want to see all of the data. They want to understand how this thing that you sell is actually going to provide the results. They want to know the success rate, the ROI. They want to know how many people are in the program. They want to know specifics of like what's included. How are these things that are included going to help me provide this outcome? They need time mm-hmm. to consume all of the information and think about it. They are the one buyer type that like if you try to pressure close them on a sales call, they're going to run so far so fast. They will not buy from you, which again is like both with your content and in sales conversations, it's so valuable to understand what type of buyer it is that you're speaking to. Because if I'm on the phone with an analytical buyer and I'm talking about the client experience and the community and how much we all love each other, that's not going to make them want to sign up. So yes, those are your assertive buyers. Okay. So before we move on to the other two, I want to relate that a little bit back to like a wedding sale, right? So I am very, very much a strong closer when it comes to closing a wedding. I'm just like, either you want it or you don't, like period, end of conversation. Do you want to work with me or no? And I totally understand that that doesn't appeal to every buyer, though I do still think you should confidently close every sale, like put a button on it, right? Like, are we moving forward or are we not? But with an analytical buyer, what are some of the things that you could be looking for when you're talking to them in a sales call that would help you to know that they're more of that analytical buyer? And you might need to explain more of what you're going to provide, or you might need to be a little bit more detail-oriented. Yeah. So you can tell 100% from their questions that they're asking you. So their questions are going to be very much, not as much outcome driven. They're going to be more so specific details. So they want to know exactly the price, how, what are you factoring into that price? They might, they'll be asking you questions like, how many hours does that get me? Or what is like the process of getting to that point? And they tend to be a little bit more reserved and formal. They're less expressive and like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy, excited to see you. Like, they're a lot more reserved and they're a little bit more like down to business. Often, people that are more expressive or amiable or even driver sometimes find your analytical buyers to be a little bit off putting. They're like, I don't know where to go with this because like they just want the information. They don't want me to like explain how great I am. Yes. <laughs> that really I always throws get so people defeated off. by analytical buyers. I'm like, what do you want me to say anymore? Like there's nothing left to say. I don't know. <laughs> Let me give you like the the magic phrase. Okay. Is I trust you and I trust your process. Mm. That's okay. the magic phrase. Because when you can pull the pressure, it's like I've given you all the information. Mm-hmm. You have everything, like you have all the information that I could give you. I trust you and I trust your process to make a decision that's best for you. 
that pulling that pressure off where yeah. they're like, okay, I have all the information. They she respects that I need to think about this and, you know, kind of internalize this information. Mm-hmm. Even if they're and you'll find that if they're talking to like three other wedding photographers, mm-hmm. If you say that when everyone else is trying to like push them into a deposit, yeah. you're going to get that sale. And this is so good because we talk a lot on this show and in my programs about assuming the sale. Like make sure that you are confident when you close and you're not just, you know, going, I'll follow up in a few days. Let me know if you need anything or have any questions. And so yeah. what Kenda's talking about here is we still always want to confidently close. Always you want to be letting them know what the next step in that buying journey journey is. But when you're reading the client, right? Like Kenda just said, it's like you can start to realize, okay, this person wants more details. This person's asking a lot of questions. They're more reserved. So how you confidently close that sale might look different, right? For each kind of buyer, but you still are leading them to, okay, so they might need a few more days, right? To think it over. That's no problem. You'll follow up on Monday, right? Would you say that's an accurate statement? Yes, and setting that that circle back time is so important because you're giving them a sense of accountability and you yes. are putting a clock on it while also giving them space and respect to kind of go through their process. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I would say is like I, I respect your process. I know that you'll make the best decision for you. Here's yeah. what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow up with you on Monday and we can decide then – if we're going to move forward and I'll give you all the next steps we can get onboarded. Yes. And so you're still closing and they're essentially agreeing that like, sure, on Monday I'm going to get onboarded, yeah. but they feel like they have that space. Yes. That's so good because we get this question a lot about, well, what if somebody says they're not ready to buy right now? And I'm like, you do still want to give them that space, but how you explained it and saying, trust the process. I trust your process. I love that. That's such a good statement. Okay. So those are your assertive buyer types, which Definitely my husband and I both are, and it's an interesting buying process for everything we buy in our house. So let's talk about the other two buyer types. Okay. So you've got your more emotional buyer types. These are your expressive and your amiable buyers. So when I say expressive, I want you to think exclusive. Mm. Expressive buyers really long for community. They want exclusivity. They really like feeling like they're an elite special few that are being brought into this brand because of like a special relationship. Mm -hmm. They are going to be your star student. They're going to be like the teacher's pet in your program. They're going to be your best friend and that's what they want. They want that close relationship and they really care a lot about the client experience. Mm. So where your driver or analytical buyer is really interested in like the outcome, getting the best value, things like that, again, using like the wedding photographer Mm. example, an expressive buyer is going to care a lot more about is like, how are you going to make me feel when I'm in front of your camera? Are you going to make me feel safe and secure and beautiful? Am I going to feel like we have a good relationship? Are we going to vibe well for this day? It's very obvious when you're talking to one. They're very expressive in their communication. They tend to be long-winded. They're very like high energy. If somebody's DMing you and they're using 45 emojis, like they're an expressive buyer. Yeah. Um, and so it's very easy to tell that too. And while they do, of course, want to know the outcome and the details, just like 
anyone when they're making a purchase, they are really concerned about the relationship. And so how you make them feel is going to matter more than getting the best price. Mm. And so if you really vibe well with them, and again, like on a sales call and they're talking to multiple people, determining who they're going to go with, if you really hit home to the experience and how you're going to make them feel and creating that kind of exclusive touch, they will go with you over everyone else. Yes. Oh, this is so good. I feel like there's a small part of me that feels like I'm a little bit of an expressive buyer because I do always, I love that feeling of, you know, exclusivity or just like, what is it going to feel like inside the program, you know, and with my clients, especially, I would say I sell very much in this category. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that we're selling such an emotional purchase as well, Mm -hmm. right? In the wedding industry, so much of it is emotion. So I do, I'm always like, I want you to understand what the experience of working with blush is going to be like. You know, it's very much hands-on, high-touch. You know, we want you to feel fully confident in all the details that are being handled. And so I love talking about this buyer type. And I think a lot of our buyers in the wedding industry would fall into this category. Do you Mm -hmm. think it's possible that people would have different buyer types depending on what they're buying? I'm really glad that you brought that up. (laughs) So I... I liken the four buyer types to if you're familiar with the five love languages. Yes. So everyone has kind of a dominant love language, right? For Mm -hmm. me, I'm a physical touch girly. Give me all the cuddles. And so – but if you think about that, with those different love languages, if you only had one in a relationship – you just had like gift giving and nothing else, no quality time, no words of affirmation. It's not going to be a very fulfilling relationship, right? So although we have a dominant way that we like to give or receive love, the other elements of a relationship are still important to us, Mm. right? So it's the same thing with the buyer types. We generally will have a dominant buyer type, but if we only are selling to that buyer type and not heading home to any of the other elements, it's not going to be a very fulfilling relationship for the consumer with the business. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we teach to create content to all of the buyer types so that you're creating a well-rounded experience for every buyer while still hitting home to the things that are most important to them. So. To your point, somebody might primarily be a driver buyer, but they also are very expressive in their communication. And so that's where having a good knowledge, a good working knowledge of all four is important because you can tell, okay, from the questions they're asking, right, what they're taking into consideration are very much these driver buyer traits, but they're very expressive in their communication. So I need to hit home to both of these things in our conversation. Yes. That's so good. Okay. And I love that you compared it to the love languages. I'm an acts of service girl, almost like a hundred percent. But as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, but if I never had quality time with my husband or I, I, we never had physical touch, like that would be a terrible relationship. Right. So it really makes sense how you're describing all of this. So really think through how you're marketing. So how you're putting your content out to 
Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, but also as you're moving people through your sales funnel and even that client experience, that onboarding experience all the way through the end of their wedding, how are you really speaking to each of these senses so that you're not just talking to that one buyer type? I love how you how you describe that. Okay, so the last buyer type is amiable, right? Yes. So our amiable buyers, the biggest thing that differentiates them from everyone else is the fact that they, when they make a purchase decision, they care a lot about how it's going to affect the people around them. Hmm. And that's going to be one of the biggest selling points for them. They also very much value that trust and that relationship similar to an expressive buyer. Um, And I always joke that amiable buyers kind of need you to hold their hand all the (laughs) way to the checkout. They tend to be people pleasers and they tend to be just – it's hard for them to make a big purchase decision. And so you have to really build that trust with them so that you can then – hold their hand and take them to the checkout without like overstepping your bounds. So that relationship really has to be there. Um, And again, you really want to hit home to how this is going to affect other people. So if potentially maybe let's say your fiance is really uncomfortable in front of a camera, Mm. right? This person, not only do you vibe well with them, but if they can kind of speak to the fact that like they're able to really help people feel comfortable and what their process is, that's really going to speak to an amiable buyer. And again, the best way to identify them is what questions they're asking. They're going to, one, they need to see you as a leader. They need to be able to trust you. But two, most of their questions are going to be geared towards not even themselves, but other people. Mm, I like that. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. I I have been trying to figure out how each of these buyer types works in the wedding industry. And the amiable one, I just kept kind of thinking, I don't know that I've ever had an amiable buyer. But as you just described it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have. Yes, I have. And (laughs) and as a wedding planner, right, that we have all kinds of wedding pros that listen to this. So I'm so glad that you're using photographer as the example. As a planner, I almost see it come out a lot when we then have to purchase all the vendors, right? Or when we have to secure all the vendors, because it's like, all of a sudden I start seeing this, well, you know, I I have to lead them to the checkout a hundred percent. I'm like, they're the perfect one for you. Trust me on this. Like, let's just check out already. What are we holding up? And it makes me crazy. But yeah, and they're the ones that are going to be like, well, I don't know if my mother-in-law is going to like this. Like, (laughs) yes, that's, that's your amiable. <laughs> yes. And they need everyone's opinion before they can say yes to anything. And I'm just like, I don't understand. That is not my mentality at all. I'm like, yes or no, let's move on. So that can be a little bit of a challenge. So as you guys are listening to this, you're probably thinking, oh yeah, I've definitely had that buyer type where you know it's, it's a little bit of a challenge. But this is so interesting. Okay. So you had mentioned that we should speak to all of these buyer types in our content. And I I know this is kind of rabbit trailing into a whole different topic. So I don't want to I don't necessarily want you to go too deep into it. But what what does that look like when you're just trying when you're not sitting there and listening to their questions? What does it look like to make sure you're touching on all those different buyer types? Really good question. So to kind of give a really clear explanation of this, I should say that the way I view content creation is the exact same process that you would take someone through on a sales call. Okay. So you want to hit home to their current reality, 
their concerns, what's coming up for them, what they're thinking, their symptoms, all of that. You want to figure out what their desires are and speak to those. What are the outcomes that they're looking for? What is their dream outcome? What's keeping them from that dream outcome? What's the gap? And then we have to overcome objections. So again, the objections that like an expressive buyer might have are going to be different than your analytical buyer. Mm -hmm. Your analytical buyer is like, they're again, they're going to want to go back to stats and data and can I see the testimonials and this and that. Whereas your expressive buyer, they're really like, okay, what's this process going to feel like? Is this really that like luxury touch that I'm looking for for my wedding? And so under overcoming objections in your content and then closing mm-hmm. in your content. And so all of those different things, and then when it comes to organic marketing, like we talked about and just kind of touched on, is the fact that you can shorten the buyer decision-making process by hitting home to all of these things in your content. Now, when it comes to the actual creation and making sure that you are hitting on all of these things, the way that we do this is by creating content through the different content lenses. So we've got problem-aware content, Mm -hmm. agitational content, and solution lens content. Now, each of these you can kind of tweak them to speak more to one buyer type or another. But if you are creating all of these types of content, you're automatically going to hit home to kind of the things that everyone cares about. So your problem aware content is where you are connecting like the issue that a lot of people are having, what they're experiencing to what the actual problem is. So like for a wedding planner, often a lot of people don't necessarily even know that they need a wedding planner, right? They're like, oh, that's like a luxury thing. Like I don't need that. And so your problem aware content would be connecting with what they're currently experiencing, what they're struggling with, being like, hey, you actually do need a wedding planner. This would solve your problem. Yeah. So that's your problem aware content. Your agitational content speaks to the mistakes that people are making and or the myths, misconceptions, issues with your industry. So maybe there's like a really common way that a certain vendor delivers a service for weddings. And if you feel like it's less effective or doesn't create as good of an experience or is unethical, those are the things you can hit home to to really differentiate yourself through that agitational content. Mm. And then you've got your solution, which is exactly like it sounds. You're speaking to the results that you've provided for your clients. You're highlighting what your process is, how you create those results, what your framework is. And then you're connecting with what the desires are that they have, essentially. Yes. This is so good. And I hope that you guys are listening and you can really think about how massively important it is for your marketing to warm your leads before they even get to a consultation with you. We talk about this all the time, but listening to Kenda really be able to break down what that content is that you're creating so that you're already wanting them to buy from you by the time they book a consult. People, a lot of times, by the time they get to a consult, it's already a yes. They're just doing it because in the wedding industry, you're supposed to do a consultation. Like so often I think, I don't even know why we're doing a consultation. They already want to buy. 
And that's what you want by warming them up through your marketing and posing yourself as the expert, making sure that you help them to understand you know what their pain points are and that you're describing Mm -hmm. what that experience of working with you is going to be like. I think this is so helpful and it's so really interesting to me how it's really science, right? This is all just psychology that you're kind of working through. Exactly. Well, and the thing is, is like we know already if we've done just the tiniest bit of market research, we know what people's concerns are. We know what their problems are. We know what they're thinking about. We know what gaps are in our industry, what other people do, how we do it differently. And so those are the things that you're going to cover on a sales call, right? So why not just do that in your content? And then when people come to you, it's basically, let's just like get the contract signed and get you onboarded. There's maybe a few logistical questions, but you're not trying to prove yourself to them. And that's the biggest thing that I would say that creating content in this way can give you is so much peace and confidence when you come onto a sales call or sales consultation because you're no longer in this place of like, oh, I have to prove myself to them. It's really like you've already done that through your content. That's why they reached out to you. And so- when you get on the phone, you're really just deciding, is this person a good fit for me? Yep. Yep. I 100% agree. And I, I'm i so excited to get feedback from this episode because I feel like everything we talk about is trying to help our listeners to understand that it is a marketing funnel. And the consultation is not the beginning. The consultation is literally the end. It should be they've yeah. seen you. They've been warmed up. They already love you. They know what you do. They trust you. And this is just kind of like that final check mark to say, yeah, you're a real human. You're actually as cool as you seem online, and I want to sign the contract. This is so, so good how you've broken it down. Kenda, I am obsessed with your content online, and I know that our listeners will be too. Where can everybody find you and get to watch more of what you teach? So we're literally all over the internet. You can find us anywhere. We have so many free resources. If you go to laneymedia.org slash resources, we have blog, YouTube, podcast, all the things, social media, million podcast. And then best way to reach me is Instagram, kenda.laney. Like my DMs are always open. You know this. Yes. I'm always down for a voice note chat. Um, so slide in if you have any questions. I'm always here for it. So, so good. Kenda, thank you so much for being here. This was awesome and I love it so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey there, wedding pro. Are you feeling overwhelmed, burned out, and wondering how you will ever pay yourself an actual salary from this business you're building? I get it. I'm a wedding pro just like you. I sat in this season of overwhelm and no pay for way too long. Now I own one of the largest planning firms in Orlando, Florida, while doing less than five weddings myself each year. And yeah, I pay myself a full-time salary too. And I'm not alone. Hundreds of other wedding pros just like you have gone from overwhelmed pro to confident CEO by using the proven strategies I teach inside the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator. 
I tell Brandy all the time how grateful I am for her. Before joining with her, I thought I was successful and I was successful, but I was working 24 seven, barely making a profit. Now, over a year later, working with her, it's just been life changing. We have our Monday calls. I voice text with other wedding planners all over the nation. And it's helpful just to have someone that's done what we're trying to do. And that is what the CEO Accelerator Group has helped and taught me to do. Inside the Accelerator, you get lifetime access to the six step-by-step modules that walk you through the pillars of a profitable wedding business. The financial services spreadsheet that Brandy gives you as a part of the Accelerator is worth the price of the Accelerator alone. If you need clarity on finances, your budget, if you can hire, if you can even pay the people that you have hired, go get the Accelerator because that spreadsheet gave me the knowledge and power to make the decisions to continue hiring and growing my team in the way that I want to. But what good is all of this knowledge without accountability, community, and of course, a place to ask your most burning question. When you join the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator, you also get six months inside our live coaching membership. It literally has changed the way I do business. It has changed the way I view things. It has changed the way that I manage things. It is totally amazing to be able to sit with CEOs that have been through what I've been through, have been through the trenches and can give me the insight as to how they got through it. It doesn't feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the only person on the planet who feels this way. No, there's tons of other CEOs that feel the same way I do. And we can talk about it, think through it, and we can learn. It is absolutely amazing. And if you're thinking about it, you should do it. The Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator is the best of a course, a membership, and a group coaching community all in one. The group has been so supportive and has really kept me sane through the busiest season I've ever seen in my career. For that, I'm really thankful. Looking forward to the next year and all the things I have to learn to grow and scale my business and super excited for the next steps. Here's the thing. You can absolutely listen to this show every single week to get nuggets that will help you scale your business. And over the course of a few years of piecing together all of that free information, you could very likely grow a successful wedding business. Or you can join the Wedding Pros CEO Accelerator today to get the proven step-by-step roadmap you need to ditch the overwhelm, build maximum profit, and step into your role as confident CEO all in just six short months. In 2021, we did 220,000 in revenue, which I was so excited about at the time. In 2022, where we sit now, our revenue came in around 560,000. Honestly, I attribute so much of that to really being able to grow. I actually no longer take on weddings myself. I'm really able to focus and be the CEO of my company. And that's come with a lot of guidance from the Accelerator Group, all of the other incredible CEOs in that program, bouncing ideas off of each other, asking for the help and hearing from other people and what's worked and what hasn't. Just click the link in the show notes below to learn more about the Wedding Pro CEO Accelerator and let's build your profitable wedding business together.